so on Friday, we're going to the Azorish, which is, you probably wouldn't know them as the Azores, uh, even though uh, I had never heard of these islands when I, before I moved to Portugal. But they're part of Portugal. They're islands in the Atlantic, like maybe a thousand miles off the coast of Portugal. Like they're pretty far in the Atlantic. It's kind of like Hawaii is to California. And we're going there on Friday for a week. Sasha has a school break and apparently kids, I guess they subsidize tourism there. So kids fly free under 12, they fly free. So we're bringing one of her friends too. It's a, it's a little bit like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Obviously it should be a nice vacation, but it's just coming at a crazy time because, you know, we had all the travel this summer. We got settled in then my mom visited then she left and Heather's friend visited and we're just getting back into the routine, the, the track, getting work done and now we're off again but i shouldn't complain it's probably gonna be extremely nice we're gonna uh get oscar a dog sitter while we're there it's kind of sad he probably could have come with us he's you know eight pounds and it's only a two and a half three hour flight but it will be nice not having to get up at 7 30 in the morning to walk him and sasha's gonna have and her friend will have their own room so they're gonna do their own thing i, I hope they don't go too crazy i told them if they behave they'll have a lot of freedom to have the run of the place but just don't do obnoxious things to adults, which is now their new thing, just to be really obnoxious to adults. Usually me, which is okay, but sometimes they're like yelling stuff out of the car, backseat of the car and stuff. So they're troublemakers. And as long as they don't do too much, let them kind of run wild out there. Anyway, so that's what's going on there. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. But as a result, I got to edit this podcast, get this posted, and there won't be a podcast next week. Uh, I'm not bringing the uh, recording equipment out there. I'll probably bring my laptop to do football stuff. So there's that. It's coming up. And then it's uh, one crazy story I forgot to tell last week. I'm not even going to say who it is because I don't want to dox the guy or even get the person who told me this in trouble. But somebody I know very well has a daughter and that daughter had a beef at school with somebody else's daughter. And so, you know, the details are too boring to, to get into. But apparently got to the point where the parents had to get involved. And this person I know was on the phone with the other girl's dad. And apparently the girl who his daughter had beef with, her name was Siri, S-I-R-I. And he's talking to the dad and whatever. The dad is total mush, he told me. But the, the craziest part of the story is that the sister of Siri is Alexa. So there is a man, there is a person on this planet Earth that is so broken that he named his daughters Siri and Alexa, basically after these corporate brands that are surveillance, that surveillance brands, but even forget that they're surveillance. He named his own children after some corporate brands. So if I could get a picture of that dude's face, he would definitely be the new Nutless Monkey avatar. If you think you're a coward, if you think you're a broken man, this is next level shit. He named his daughters Siri and Alexa. So again, I'm not going to give too many other details, but I thought that was the, one of the craziest things I'd ever heard. All right, let's get into the real stuff. I, I think I'm just going to get into the, the, main, the main entree first because of all the things I've talked about, written about, I think this is the most, this is the most direct. This is, the, this is like where, the, this is the crux of the matter. I, I feel like I'm saying the same thing in a lot of different ways. Like there's a truth that I perceive and I'm trying to express it, share it, get other people to also see it or point them in the direction of it at least. And I just come at it from a lot of different angles. Like there's a lot of different ways to get there, a lot of different entry points. But I feel like this one is like the big one. This one is the most direct 
well, I'll just get into it because there's no point in hyping it up. So I was going to say, have you ever, but of course you have been on a customer service phone call with some company that made an error or dropped the ball doing something like your health insurance didn't cover something it should have covered. And you're arguing with the rep or your cable company did something terrible or your the airline or whatever. And we've all had this and you're making your case and you're like, this remedy that you're offering is just ridiculous. You know, I'm out all this money, all this time. You said you would do this and they're offering something really meager in exchange. And at some point, you know, you, you say what you have to say. You're obviously right. It's the facts are just very damning for them. And the rep just says, well, sorry, sir. This, this is what we offer. It's company policy. It's company policy. That's the sort of, okay, that's the end of this. And what does that mean to say it's company policy? What does that really mean? What they're, they're saying isn't that, well, no, you're, you're incorrect. They're saying whether or not you're correct, it doesn't matter. We're going to move this argument from the ground of what's correct, what's fair, what's just into a different field, which is what can you actually do about it? And what they're saying when they say it's company policy is my hands are tied. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing, therefore, since you're talking to me, there's nothing you can do. And what that does is it kind of triggers a different response from the person, like smart people, savvy people. It kind of triggers the, the serenity prayer, which is Reinhold Niebuhr who wrote it. And it's quoted as, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So this is, you know, this sounds like wisdom, right? Because obviously smart people, they don't fight every battle. They, they really, they let go of things that are out of their control. They do what they can in the things that they do control and they let go. I mean, that seems like wisdom. That's stoicism. It's serenity prayer. It, it's very wise. And people, when they hear it's company policy and suddenly it's like, oh, I'm not going to get anywhere. So I could spend 20 more minutes yelling at this person, but this is out of my control. I have the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, fine. I'll eat this loss. However, egregiously unjust it is, it's, it's done. So you see what the rep does is the rep will shift the battle that he or she is losing on the grounds of what's fair, what's right to, well, what can we really do about this? Nothing. And then the person shifts from, I want what's right. I want what's fair for me. I, I'm standing up for myself to, oh, this is something I can't control. I have the wisdom to know the difference and I'm going to let this go. And then you're annoyed, but you get on with your day and you eat the hundred bucks or the 500 bucks or the 20 bucks or whatever the amount of money is. I'll get into a story about <laughs> how low the money was for me that I went bananas and got it changed in a second. But this, to me, this sort of, it's company policy sums up the sort of the entire problem. And it's the most, to me, this is the deepest truth. This is the most direct way to describe what's going on. Think about it. You want what's fair. You want what's just. You want what's right. But you also don't want to waste time on things that are futile, that will never happen. And so what the customer service rep is doing is convincing you that though you were right, this quest is futile. And imagine that at scale, that would be an extremely powerful trick, bait and switch to pull. This thing you see that you feel is not right and then demands justice. Well, we're not saying you're wrong because we can't win on that battle because you, you are right and what, what has been done is wrong. But it's futile. There's no point. So move on. And 
You know, I, I saw this video. Uh, it was Cindy McCain, uh, widow of John McCain. I, I might have mentioned it last week. And she's saying everybody knew what Epstein was up to, but they were too scared to go after him. They thought, you know, he was sort of untouchable. And the Miami Herald reported on it, and suddenly Epstein's in, in jail, and he gets murdered or whisked away or whatever. He doubt he killed himself, but whatever. He, he actually did get prosecuted. I mean, something happened. They had to do something because it was out. Public knew. And I think sort of the biggest, most powerful part of the PSYOP is literally this, it's company policy. You can't do it. In other words, the Pfizer executives and the government that took their money and put in mandates for a substance that's harmed thousands of people, killed a lot of people, maybe thousands, no benefit to people who are young and healthy, that's still mandated on college campuses. They, that's so obviously not just wrong. It's, it's a crime against humanity. It's serial murder. It's the worst thing you could possibly do. But I, I even see people on Twitter, people I respect, people who know that that's true say, yeah, but they'll never be held accountable. Come on. These people are too powerful. They'll never be called to account. I know some of you listening are like, but they're right. They won't be held to account. You know, who got held to account for the Iraq war? Do they ever get in trouble? You know, you'll, you'll look at history and say, the powerful just, there's a different set of rules for them. They're untouchable. But think about that. You have fallen for the same, it's company policy. We don't prosecute powerful people. It's just the company policy. Sorry. They may have done horrible things, but we don't prosecute them. And so if you think that, and I think that, and everybody thinks that, then it will be true. We'll hang up the phone and say, ah, it's company policy. Let me tell you a couple of stories with customer service just personally. So, I'll start with the small one first. So I used to have a car in LA and one day in the mail, I got a ticket for $1 for driving in sort of the wrong, some pay lane that you had to pay a dollar for. So I got a, I got an invoice in the mail for a dollar. And the thing was the place where I had allegedly driven and didn't pay for was in San Francisco but I lived in Los Angeles and I was not, I was fairly sure I had not blacked out and driven to San Francisco in the interim when it was, when I was, when the car was alleged to have been in that lane. And so I was like, what the fuck? It was a dollar, but I was like, how are they dinging me here, billing me, give me a ticket for something that happened in San Francisco? What the fuck? So I looked at the photo that was enclosed and you could see the license plate it was cut off like the, the bottom like inch and a half of the license plate was cut off. So the letters read across and the last letter was an F. And I think mine was an E, but you couldn't tell the difference between an F and an E if you didn't see that little foot on the E, right? E looks like an F if you cut off the bottom of it. So apparently somebody with the exact license plate as I had, except the E was exchanged for an F, was in that lane and hadn't paid for it. And they ran his plate from the photo and 50-50, it hit me, they sent me the dollar. So I call up and I probably mentioned the story before, but it, it really illustrates the purpose. And it was the Xerox corporation that they'd outsourced this dirty work to. And I said to the rep, I said, look, this is not my car. I, I don't live in San Francisco. I wasn't there. They're like, well, it's your license plate. I said, no, if you see the bottom is cut off, it's probably somebody with an F instead of an E. And he said, well, look, you know, this is sent to you. It's got your license plate. I don't know what to say. I said, dude, I'm telling you, I was not in San Francisco. I'm not paying this and I want this off my bill. He goes, it's only a dollar. He goes, it's only a dollar. It's only a dollar. Fuck you, it's only a dollar. 
you're charging me. You're taking money from me. I don't care if it's one cent. I don't care if it's a hundred dollars. It doesn't matter. It's the principal. I was not there. I'm not paying this tax because the Xerox corporation, the level of affront this was to me that this guy could just seize my money based on something I didn't do just because the top half of my license plate was similar to somebody else's was just beyond the pale. So I went bananas on this guy. I mean, I went absolutely bananas. I was like, if you, this is $1, but I will spend the rest of my life destroying this company and publicizing this. I will, you better take this off my bill right now. Like you don't even understand what you're doing. You cannot take from citizens who have done nothing wrong. It doesn't matter what the amount is. Who are you to say it's $1? It's $1 of my money that I earned. You can't take this from me. And the guy relented and eventually he took it off, took it off the bill. But um, that wasn't going to happen. The company policy, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's just not going to fly. And the other one was Orbitz, which I'll link to. And I'm not going to go into the whole story, but basically Orbitz was going to not change a ticket, no cancellation or change fee. They didn't disclose it. There was three months before the flight. They wouldn't do anything. They were pawning it off on the airline. The airline was pawning it off on Orbitz. And I just went bananas on Twitter. I have a great Twitter following. It's not that large, but people who speak up and we just savaged Orbitz. I was adding the CEO of Orbitz. I was adding lawyer friends saying, would it be possible to do a class action? I was just going crazy. And a couple of days later, the fixer called, credited me the money, switched the flights and got it done and, and admitted no wrongdoing. But I don't care what they admit to me personally. I mean, the actions speak louder than words. Like they didn't, you know, they switched it. And you know, a lot of people would have said, give it up. Like they're never going to give it back to you. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not giving this up. This is wrong. And this bait and switch of, again, the serenity prayer, only change the things you, you're empowered to change, let go of the things you're not empowered to change and have the wisdom to know the difference. Well, what is the wisdom to know the difference? And I, and I had this uh, article that I wrote a couple of weeks ago called The Oscillating Truth. And I do think that in times of high trust and reliability and institutional reliability, um, you should let more things go. It's okay if something goes against you. It's not that big of a deal. But in times where there's this huge collapse in institutional trust, where, as I said, Congress is insider trading, they're transferring your taxpayer wealth to these pharmaceutical companies by the billions, buying these shots and then marketing them when most people don't need them, when they've killed and harmed so many people. I mean, this is, you know, this is not normal times. So in terms of like the wisdom to know the difference, I think that this is not the time to let it go. And so, okay, so I've given you a couple examples how company policy just is not going to fly. You know what they're saying to you. They're saying, fuck off. There's nothing you can do about it. And I'm saying, fuck off. There's nothing I can do about it. We'll see if there's something I can do about it. And the, the problem is with, with this company policy discussion is it's not just limited to the dollar that Xerox tried to steal from me or, you know, Orbitz trying to inflexibly take $1,000 from me through an error and, and not, you know, have any sort of recourse whatsoever. It's not about that. It's about this bait and switch. This is at the heart of what's going on. Yes, this is horrible. Yes, your government and media and powerful people colluded for profit to inject you and your kids with stuff that was harmful to them against your will at the penalty of losing your job or being excommunicated from society. Yes, they did this, but what are you going to do about it? They're untouchable. And this bait and switch is what they are counting on. Because I see, again, I see people who know what went on that are very angry about it, but they say, what are we going to do? They'll never be held to account. And that's the same thing, by the way, 
this is kind of a similar thing. So sometimes you'll say, look, this happened. And people will say, that's a conspiracy theory. You'll say, you know, the government knew that this didn't stop the spread and yet they were mandating. And so that's a conspiracy theory. It doesn't matter if it's factually true. And you'll say the virus obviously came from a lab. There's new evidence the other day that just said it's, it's one in a hundred billion that it didn't come from a lab based on the study of the actual virus. Everyone knew it came from a lab anyway, before you, you know, only the midwit needs a study to prove the obvious, but okay, they did the study and now it's even more, the case is like ironclad. And if you, if you said before, and even now some people say, oh, that's a conspiracy that it leaked from a lab. It was of natural origin. It's a conspiracy theory. And what are they really saying by it's a conspiracy theory? They're not saying, they're not saying it's false because clearly powerful factions do have agendas and do make plans in secret. So there are conspiracies. We know there are conspiracies. People conspire all the time. They meet with each other. They don't always go public right away and they have plans. That is conspiring. So conspiracies happen. We know conspiracies happen. That's not even in, in dispute. So if you have a theory about a conspiracy that you think may have taken place, that theory could be true or that theory could be false. So when somebody says, if you bring up something that you believe is true and for which you have evidence, they say that's a conspiracy theory. They're not saying it's false because that something is a conspiracy theory doesn't make it false. They're saying that I don't even want to get into whether it's true or false because it's a conspiracy theory. What they're saying really is instead of fighting this on the grounds of whether it's true, I'm going to fight this on the grounds of whether it has standing to be heard. It's a summary judgment in court. It's a dismissal before we even get to the merits of the case. And why are they doing that? They're doing that because they don't want to use the cognitive bandwidth to, to consider this. Now, if you're a friend of theirs or you're an intelligent person that they've had good conversations with, it's not that, oh, I've just heard, you know, there's crazy people that you don't listen to what they're saying because it's just not worth your cognitive bandwidth. But these people are distracted. They, they waste cognitive bandwidth like it's going out of style. And you're someone they know and someone they know is smart or have had a good discussion with, and yet they don't want to hear this. So it's not just like, hey, I've heard too much of this. I don't want to waste the bandwidth on this. It's, I don't want to go here. I don't want to evaluate the truth value of this claim. I'm going to dismiss it out of hand. And they do that in order not to deal with the emotional discomfort they're going to feel if you are in fact persuasive because there's going to be emotional discomfort because their beliefs will then be threatened if what you're saying sounds plausible, if, if you're persuasive. So before they even get to the point where they consider whether it's true, they want to cut it off at the pass. Well, the people who say it's, it's futile, there'll never be justice, there'll never be accountability are doing the same thing, but they've already wasted all the cognitive bandwidth on being angry, knowing it's true, feeling incredibly betrayed by their government, incredibly uncomfortable with the fact that their own governments and the governments of the world would do something so horrendous like this. You know, they, their eyes are open. They already have gone through the exercise of realizing that a lot of this stuff is actually true. And yet where they draw the line is on action. Well, there's no, there's no point in doing anything because nothing will happen. So it's the same thing. It's just one, one group cuts it off earlier at the conspiracy. They don't want to go there. The other group is almost worse because they've already expended all the anxiety. At least the first group is comfortable. At least they're, at least in their mind, it's like, hey, the government's taking care of me. Now that will be extremely rude awakening, extremely, extremely, when you have an adverse effect from the vaccine, when your money disappears through inflation, when there's some sort of economic shock. I mean, there's going to be a rude awakening for those people. But in the meantime, you can never take away those blissful moments where they felt, oh, these crazies, 
they can talk about all the stuff. The government's on my side. It's looking out for me. They have that bliss that, that you can never take away from. They're almost doing it better. The people who went through all the anxiety and the trauma of being like, holy shit, this is a war against the citizen by these governments and it's incredibly corrupt and they don't care about me at all and we're on our own and what does this mean and how do I protect myself? The people are dealing with this stuff. Well, they won't have the rude awakening. They already had it, but they've gone through all that and to what? For, to what avail? Nothing. They're, they're going to do nothing and be despondent and be dispirited about their powerlessness. So it's really the same thing in a way. Even the awake people are falling for this part of the PSYOP. They've broken through the rest of the PSYOP, but the part that says, ah, it's futile, they're too powerful. And this is really what I want to get at because I feel like I see this even among awake people. And I'm like, dude, stop saying that. Stop spreading that. Stop believing it. The second that everybody is like, that is bullshit. They are not untouchable. They are touchable. Karma is real. It's coming for them too. They are not going to avoid accountability. They are not. And we are not going to let them. We are not going to sit here and say, that's okay. We're going to say the truth and we're going to do something about it. Okay. So let's set aside. I'm going to table this for a second of what you can do about it. Cause I listened to a podcast and I thought it was an excellent, really, really smart what they were saying. But that, that's the main part of this podcast. I, I want people to understand that that is a lie, that they're too powerful to be held to account, that we're, we're powerless. No, that is part of the PSYOP. And you have to overcome that too. We are very powerful. We're, we are the ones that decides who's going to be held to account and who isn't. It's up to us. It's up to the people. That's how these things happen. Okay, so that, that's really what I wanted to say about that. Okay, so... So then we get to the question of, okay, so what can you do about it? Let's say you think, okay, fine, I'm going to buy into this. Uh, these people are not untouchable. They're not so powerful that they'll escape accountability. What can you do about it? What can I do about it? I was listening to Marty Bent's podcast with, with Tom Luongo and Marty Bent basically asked the same question, like, well, what can we do about this? And Luongo said something I thought was very simple, but very interesting. He said, what we're doing, like, keep talking about this, getting these ideas out there that truth out there. And it seems kind of lame. Like, you know, my podcast doesn't have a very big following. My Twitter doesn't have that big of a following. How are we going to get the, the truth out there? How am I going to do anything about this? And what he said was, you know, you put these ideas out here, you know, into the zeitgeist, into the information ecosystem, and you do it day in, day out. And you persuade people, person here, a person there, and they persuade people, person here, a person there. And you don't know how these things percolate up. So maybe after a couple of months of this, Elon Musk decides, you know what? I don't like this sort of woke censorship on Twitter and I'm going to buy this thing and I'm going to change the culture. Now, I don't trust Elon Musk per se, but it doesn't really matter. The point is ideas come to people. It's not like I would have the ideas I have, but for the people who are around me and influencing me and the people that I follow and the people that I interact with. So my ideas are a product and part of what I'm exposed to. And your ideas are exposing people to different truths, different effects. And we know society is a complex system. You know, you know the whole butterfly effect thing about how if a butterfly flapped his wings, it changes the course of history. And it may or may not, right? Like each little ripple has a minute effect, a local effect, but sometimes a video goes viral. Sometimes an idea goes viral. Sometimes there's just enough people saying this one type of thing where it changes the, the zeitgeist, what, what's, what's acceptable, what the window of, 
permissible speech is. I mean, already it's moved, right? I mean, I can say the stuff about how the vaccine harmed and killed people. And a year ago, you know, I'd be deplatformed for that. So things do change. The ideas do change and people do change them. So you think you're just uselessly talking to a wall and, and you are, if you're arguing with somebody who's zombified, who's in a cult and they, they really have no interest and they're just desperate to hold on to the belief system that they have. But there are many people who have a part of it or question a little bit. And the more people that question it openly and talk about this and engage on this, the more they start seeing it as more acceptable and their mind opens up. It's no longer in their interest, their self-interest to just believe what they're told. Suddenly, it's okay to believe this other thing. And then once that opens their mind, they have an idea. They say an offhand remark to somebody who else who starts to consider it. And we don't know in a complex system how the inputs reflect the outputs. In a simple linear system, you know, you put in you know, two units of energy, you get two units of energy out. But in a complex system, you could put in a thousand units of energy and it may do nothing. And you could put in two units of energy and it may change the outcome completely. This is the nature of a complex system. We don't know. And that's why the Kantian categorical imperative is so powerful. Act only on that maxim you would will to be a universal law. It just concedes in a complex system, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen. What person is going to do what? I just know what's true and what, I, what needs to be said. And I'm going to say it and be as persuasive as I'm able. And hopefully, you know, that has a good effect. But I don't know. Of course, I don't know. So instead of trying to, you know, pretend you're a utilitarian and you know exactly what you're going to do and, oh, it's not worth it because I'll get in trouble. And this is the wrong way to look at it. And I think that if everybody stood up the second these mandates were there and sued every single person that was threatened with termination, said, I'm not taking this and you can't make me take it and I'm filing a suit now. Anybody with the money to do so. Class actions, every possible thing. And people did sue and it did work, right? I mean, New York State just overturned the vaccine mandate and all the workers that got fired are now reinstated with back pay. So the, the lawsuits worked. But imagine if we never even let it get this far, that everybody sued. Nobody showed up at work. Everyone said, fuck you. I'm not being bullied into taking a shot. It would be over. It would be over the second that they tried to do it. I mean, Xerox had to give me back that dollar because I went bananas and I was just one person. Orbitz, because I got people on Twitter to go crazy and just didn't stop. And they knew the publicity was, was hurting them way, way more than that thousand, give me the thousand dollars back. I didn't stop. That was just one person. Imagine if we were all like that. Like, fuck you. I'm not conceding on what's right and wrong because of, you're trying to convince me it's not possible. Fuck you. It's not possible. It is possible. And you're going to do it. Why are we doing this? Why are we rolling over like this? I don't understand. You stand up and fight. That's it. Everyone doesn't want to be the only one, the first one, the guy who gets canceled, the guy whose friends dismiss him or whatever. Fuck that. Act only on that maxim you would will to be a universal law. If you wish that your other friends and colleagues would stand up, you stand up. Courage is contagious. Come on. This is what I'm saying. You know, if we're all saying this, it's over. It's over. Those people are going to jail. There's going to be no choice. You say, oh, what can I do about it? You're the one who has to do something about it. You, not somebody else. And again, we just need to start speaking up and doing it and, and just resisting injustice and not saying, oh, it's company policy. I guess there's nothing we can do. It's country policy. You know, we have these powerful communication tools. I, this podcast, I can launch it out there. Anybody can listen to it. I can put my thoughts out on my Substack. Anybody can read it. The reach is theoretically unlimited. And we're sitting here like peasants in, in the feudal times where the, the king sends an armored knight with a horse to come kill us. And, and, and I'm by myself in the countryside with no help. That's not what it, what's going on here. 
we have a lot of power and this company policy shit is not going to fly. It's not going to fly. And you, and you just got to speak up. You got to tell the truth. And if you're sitting there hoping someone else does it, it's a dereliction of duty. It's, I remember in uh, Breaking Bad when Walter White gives Skyler his, his wife or ex-wife at that point all this money you know, for their kid. And she says something like to the effect of like, well, I'm just worried about that knock on the door in the middle of the night that, you know, that someone's going to knock on the door and kill me, basically. And he says, I'm the one who knocks in, in the context of, you know, I'm the criminal drug lord. I'm the dangerous one. But I think you got to be the one who knocks. I mean, I think you are the adult. You're the person who has the, the power to make these decisions and to express things. You're the person, not the scary government or your colleagues or your peers or the, the cowardly university that's trying to make your kid take uh, medicine that they don't need against their will. It's dangerous. They're not the one who knocks. It's you. I don't understand why if I had a kid going to college right now, I would sue immediately. I would just sue. I would publicize it. I would go crazy. I would just go. They are lucky that, you know, my daughter's only 10 and a half, that she's not close to college because if she got accepted to do a college and they said, oh, you have to take this shot that's dangerous for her and offers no benefit. She's had COVID twice. It would be such a mistake. It would be such a mistake because I, I would just, I would not let it go. I would not let it go. And I would get people riled up about it because I have the truth on my side. Because when you're right, that's the battle that always has to be fought on, on the truth, on what's fair and what's just. Not on might makes right, what's possible, what the people in power will allow. Never let it get into that point. Don't concede the territory that you're playing. And you know, all the smart poker players, they say, you know, it's not just how well you play. It's what table you choose. You go to the table of the best players in the world, you're going to lose money. Even if you're a good player, you go to a table with a bunch of tourists, you're going to win money. It's, it's table selection matters a lot. And they want to play at the table of, hey, we're too powerful. Sorry, you can't do anything about it. And I'm going to play at the table of, let's see who's right and wrong. Let's stay at this table where we have the advantage. And if enough people do that, they're not going to get to play at their table. Because those people are going to push them to our table and they're going to have to defend these decisions on the merits. So you know, this company policy shit, it's not going to fly. And you are part of this. The people that say, oh, this will never happen. This is a dream. It's a fantasy. This is part of the problem. This is the psyop. So, well, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with one last thought. It's a little more hopeful. So there was this, this thing I watched maybe six or seven years ago, and it was about how Yellowstone National Park had come into some uh, decay. The species weren't thriving there as much. The, the wildlife wasn't doing that well. And they brought in some wolves. They brought in like 20 wolves or something to start. Obviously, the wolves bred, and there were more wolves than that eventually. And the wolves started hunting some of the deer, and the deer then did not eat up all the vegetation. And then with the new vegetation, beavers started coming and making dams, and then the river started getting more flowing better. And basically, it goes way more deep than this. I'm just giving you a couple examples. But it's a complex system, Yellowstone. And adding one input, these wolves that were native to that system initially, but had it somehow died out or something happened, completely restored the system. It restored the banks of the rivers. It restored the forest. It restored everything. In like 20 years, the wolves fixed the entire system. Now, it wasn't just the wolves. It was all the cascading effects of having the ecosystem balanced. You know, And they say this, if you have the right gut bacteria, you're, you're going to be in much better health. These, these systems, there's, there are cascading effects in complex systems. So I think we got to be like the Yellowstone wolves. I'm actually optimistic. Hopefully these fucking psychopaths 
knowing that they're cornered and they're going to be in big trouble. Don't do something stupid like start a nuclear war. I wouldn't put it past them. They're such desperate, miserable animals. But barring something like that, there will be accountability and I'm going to see to it. And so will you. All right. Till next time.